The sermon today comes from Luke 13, 18 through 21. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in his branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. 1963, the uh, nuclear submarine Thresher was out on a, a test run. And this was a submarine that had massive uh, steel armor, massive steel bulkheads, and that was so that it could dive deep and withstand the pressure of the ocean. It's out on this test run, and the, uh, the nuclear engine quit. And it couldn't make its way back to the surface, and it continued to sink and sink all the way until it sank to the bottom of the ocean where it was, it was crushed under the pressure, all 129 people in it. And so the Navy sent a vessel to try to find it. And they sent a, a vessel that was much stronger. It was designed for super deep waters. It was a round steel ball. And they lowered it by a cable. And they lowered it down. And they finally got to the bottom of the ocean where this submarine was. And the people that were, the, the search and rescue team said this, this massive steel submarine was crushed like an eggshell. And that wasn't surprising because they ended up finding it at a depth of like 8,400 feet. It's like a mile and a half below the surface. But what did surprise them is they saw fish alive swimming around this crushed submarine. And what was striking is that these fish didn't have massive steel around them. They were normal fish with, with skin you know, that was a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of an inch thick. And the search and rescue team tried to figure out how in the world did this submarine get crushed and these fish were doing just fine at that depth. And the reality is, is that the pressure inside the fish was the same as the pressure outside. And so they, they survived. But what, what's striking about that picture is that you've got the, the weight of the water that crushes something that seems so strong, made of steel, and you've got this weak, vulnerable fish that isn't crushed. And why? Because there was, there was something inside this fish that was keeping it from getting crushed, that was causing it to flourish. Jesus is telling these parables in Luke 13, these two parables, to his followers, to a group of people that are watching what's happening. And if you read the beginning of Luke 13, it's all about rejection. <laughs> Jesus is saying, repent or perish, that the crowds are rejecting him. This movement that he's trying to lead seems to be falling apart. People aren't responding. And so he tells to his followers, lest they lose heart, these two parables about the kingdom of God, something about this kingdom that on the surface seems very small, very weak, very vulnerable. And yet what Jesus is telling, it, telling them is that it is a kingdom that has incredible power. Right? So what, what characterizes the kingdom of God? What characterizes this kingdom of God that Jesus 
was bringing. And we're gonna see two things. One is powerful, extensive growth. That's gonna be shown through the parable of the mustard seed and then powerful, intensive growth that's shown through the parable of the leaven or the yeast. Let's start with the, the extensive growth, the powerful, extensive growth. So you've got a tiny mustard seed, grows into a large tree, and it says it provides shade in a home for birds to nest in. Now, this is, the, the, the wording that Jesus uses here is an allusion to two Old Testament passages. First in Daniel chapter four, where King Nebuchadnezzar, king of the mighty nation of Babylon, right, has this dream of a tree that grows up and it touches the heavens. And in verse 12 of Daniel four, it says the beasts of the field found shade under it and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches. And then you have the second passage in Ezekiel 17, verse 23. On the mountain height of Israel, I will plant it that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. What I want you to see and what Jesus is is saying, because these two pictures in Daniel 4 and in Ezekiel were well known to the audience. Jesus was saying, listen, the kingdom of God, my kingdom, has always seemed small and insignificant compared to to the powers of the world. I mean, Israel was a tiny nation. Babylon was the major world power of the day. And now when Jesus comes on the scene, there's all this rejection. Nobody's following him. And his disciples and followers are scratching their head going, what's happening here? And Jesus says, let me me tell you a secret. Let me tell you how the kingdom of God has worked and always will work. Because it's different than how this world works. And so he tells the parable. And I I think what you're going to see here is an answer to what is the nature of the power of the kingdom. Specifically, this, this extensive growth that we see in the seed that becomes the largest mustard tree in the garden. First, that the power is small and, in, and seemingly insignificant. Take a snapshot of Galilee where Jesus was doing his ministry in AD 28. That was the beginning or during Jesus' earthly ministry. You had a, you had a carpenter turned preacher. That's Jesus telling about his kingdom. You had a few uneducated fishermen following him. Hardly the packaging that you'd say, this is a kingdom that is gonna sweep and take over the world or or give salvation to the world. The packaging wasn't there. It was a ragtag bunch. And yet it was these followers that set the world on fire with a message of salvation that today spans the globe. It's proclaimed in every known language almost. Shortly, uh, in November of 1989, shortly before the Berlin Wall came down, which for some of you, you weren't even born yet, okay? Uh, You've read about this in your textbooks, history textbooks. For some of you, you remember it well. 1989, Berlin Wall comes down. Communism comes to an end in Central Europe. Now, let me tell you the story of how this happened, which you're not gonna see in your history textbooks. 10 Christians, roughly 10 Christians in Germany started meeting in a home to pray for the fall of communism because they wanted people restored to the the image of God and the dignity of God. And they prayed that they would be freed from this oppressive government, what was happening through communism. They start praying. Well, this prayer group grows so much so they couldn't meet in a home anymore. And so they move it outside. 
it continued to grow. More Christians joined the prayer group until finally they had to move it to the, the center of the town, in the town square. The communist government gets note of this, gets word of this, and immediately is struck with fear, right? Because this means rebellion. And so they order the troops to surround this prayer group and open fire on them. The problem is the soldiers that were ordered to open fire were looking at brothers and sisters and grandmas and grandpas and fathers and mothers, and so they didn't open fire. And it was that moment that the the chain of command was broken, that the communist government lost control, and within two days, the Berlin Wall comes down. The, The Berlin Wall, communism didn't come down by sword or machine gun or military. It came down by kingdom power. A few Christians that started, 10 people in a room praying, and it grew, something small, seemingly insignificant. Listen, if you were one of those 10 people in Germany praying in a room, the last thing you thought is that one day you'd be staring down the the barrel of a rifle in a town square. Something small, seemingly insignificant, right, is how God's kingdom works, and his power works through that. I remember a speaker at my seminary graduation. You know, I mean, seminary graduation, right? We've just completed three plus years of schooling and um, the the speaker's up there and and he's a a professor and he's a doctor and he's got all these credentials and, and you know, and you know what he said to us? He said, do something for Jesus. He said, do something for Jesus. You, You guys look out and you see all these Christians that are doing big things and they're on the, in the newspapers and the headlines and, and they're getting all the press. And he said, you look at that and say, how could I ever do something like that? And he said, God's not calling you to that. He's calling you to do something for Jesus, something little. Pray for your neighbors. Invite your neighbors over for a dinner. Take a walk in the evening at, at your school or, or, or in your neighborhood in a time where you know your neighbors are gonna be out. Little things, that's what God calls us to. And it's these little things that seem small and insignificant against what we see the need. And God says, that's how I work. I use the little things. And I multiply them. That's how I multiply my kingdom. So first we see through the mustard seed parable that kingdom power is small and seemingly insignificant and yet incredibly influential and powerful. Second, we see it's hidden. Note that the the tiny mustard seed, what? It gets planted in the ground. You can't see it. You don't know what's happening. Is it growing? Is it not? Those of you that have planted a garden, a garden with seeds, okay? You know what this is like. You plant the seed. You start watering it for weeks, months. You don't know if anything's happening. Is it growing? Is it ever gonna sprout through the ground? Right, that the, the kingdom of God is hidden oftentimes. Consider the story in the last half of Genesis of of Joseph. You remember the story of Joseph? Uh, He gets sold into slavery by his brothers. And while he's in Egypt in slavery, he gets falsely accused and then thrown into prison. Now, put yourself in Joseph's shoes for a second. God was with him, but Hard to believe in those moments of, of, of suffering and of, of uh, imprisonment that God's kingdom was advancing. In fact, it seemed to be going backwards. <laughs> in Joseph's life, at least, what was going on? Was God working? How could God be working? 
I got sold into slavery. I'm in prison. What am I gonna do in prison? Well, we know the end of the story. God gets him out of prison. He puts him in a place of leadership where he begins to store up food for a famine that's coming. And then he ends up saving, right? Hundreds and thousands of people, specifically God's people, right? The Israelites. And at the end of Genesis, in chapter 52, he says to his brothers, you meant this for evil, God meant it for good to save the lives of many, right? That God's kingdom oftentimes is hidden. It oftentimes seems invisible, that the Lord's not working. What is going on? And, and I think this plays out two ways in your life. One could be right now. In your life personally, what's happening through trial, through suffering, through um, unrealized dreams, through whatever it may be, the things that you're hoping for not happening, you're going, how in the world is the kingdom advancing? It appears to be doing nothing but going backwards in my life. It feels like God's silent. I feel incredibly unproductive. Now, take that, ramp it up to a cultural level. Some of you look out at the culture and go, the kingdom is going backwards in this culture, right? The kingdom's not advancing. How can it be advancing? Look what's happening to our culture. And Jesus says, listen, listen, kingdom power is hidden. It's working. It seems invisible, but it's working behind the scenes. It's working in your heart, though you can't even see it and certainly not feel it. And it's working in this culture, though it may not seem like it, because kingdom power is hidden and yet incredibly powerful. I mean, consider for a second what Chinese Christians faced years ago. Years ago, the Chinese government, communist government, was trying to stamp out Christianity, right? By power, by might, by sword, by killing Christians, by imprisoning Christians. And you'd say, how in the world could Christianity flourish in that kind of environment? And yet over recent decades, the past decades, Christianity has been expanding and growing rapidly in China. People coming to Christ, why? Because the strongest, most visible, most powerful earthly kingdom doesn't have a chance against the hidden, invisible, powerful kingdom of God. That that's how the kingdom works. That's how God works. And so, kingdom power is small, seemingly insignificant. It's hidden, seemingly invisible. And finally, it's upside down. It's upside down. What has to happen to the mustard seed before it sprouts and grows? It has to die and fall into the earth. It's to die and fall to the ground. It's what Jesus says in John chapter 12, verse 24. Listen, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. You know, one of the reasons why the kingdom of God seems small and insignificant and invisible and hidden is because the power comes through weakness and death and humility, which is not the way our world operates. When Jesus says in John 12 that a, a grain of wheat has to fall to the ground first and die, he's speaking of himself. That Jesus himself died and was, went, fell into the earth, into the tomb. Do you know that when Jesus died, everyone had left him. Even his closest followers, even the disciples had fled. Peter, others, they all ran. 
It was, Jesus was the only one left. The movement was dead. And certainly when he got put in the grave, his, his enemies were rejoicing. His disciples were dismantled and running and scared and confused. And you said, the movement's dead. And well, we know the story. The movement was far from dead. It's God's plan. He rose from the dead. Jesus rose from the dead, brought the kingdom, and now the, the, the gospel, which was confined to a very small geographic reason, or region in Jesus' day, has spread across the globe. It's spread across the globe. It's spanned nations, countries, socioeconomic classes. It's dethroned kings. It's influenced public policy. It's given uh, hope and, and justice to people of injustice. It's given a voice to the voiceless. It has spanned the globe. Why? Because the seed died and went into the ground. That's what Jesus did. He died to put to death the old world and to raise the new world, and we live in that now. And Jesus says, that is the pattern for your life. That my kingdom comes through my followers, not through their triumph and glory, but through their death and weakness and humility. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 12. He talks about the thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it was, but we know that Paul had some physical condition going on in his body that he was, he was tired of. He wanted freedom from. In fact, he asked the Lord three times to take it away. Lord, take this away. Three times he asked. And do you know what the Lord's response was to Paul? My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Goes on to say, therefore I will boast, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Christ's power does not rest on you because you have it all together. In fact, if you are in a place of being proud of your put-togetherness, if you're in a place of being proud of your successes, proud of your Christian disciplines, proud that you're the, the big, broad shoulders that everybody turns to when they're in trouble, if that's you, Christ's power doesn't rest on that. Christ's power unites to weakness. That's how this kingdom power is upside down and advances. Chuck Colson, not Chuck Colson in Mandarin, one of our pastors, the Chuck Colson that has passed, he served as a uh, special counsel. He served as special counsel to the president of the United States, Richard Nixon, in 1969 to 1973. And he served in this, this role, and then he got thrown in prison for his, his role in the Watergate scandal. And after he got thrown in prison, that's when he came to know Christ through that process, and he started a ministry after that to people in prison. Listen to what he says. The great paradox of my life is that every time I walk into a prison and see the faces of men or women who have been transformed by the power of the living God, I realize that the thing God has chosen to use in my life is none of the successes, achievements, 
degrees, awards, honors, or cases I won before the Supreme Court. That's not what God's using in my life. What God is using in my life to touch the lives of literally thousands of other people is the fact that I was a convict and went to prison. That was my great defeat, the only thing in my life that I didn't succeed in. Kingdom power is upside down. The kingdom power that has caused the gospel to spread extensively around this goal, this globe, is a, is a power that's small and seemingly insignificant, hidden and seemingly invisible, and upside down, that it works through weakness, it works through death, it works through humility. Second, nature of the kingdom of God is, is not just this powerful, extensive growth that we see in this mustard tree, right? But this powerful, intensive growth that we see in the parable of the leaven or the yeast. This powerful, intensive growth that the, that the, that the kingdom grows not only outward and around the globe, but it grows internally and it grows deep within. What, what characterizes this intensive growth? Well, I, note first of all, that this is a power that works over time, right? Look, think about the, the parable of the leaven. You've got, it says here, three measures of flour, which, by the way, that's a massive amount of flour, okay? And this tiny little pinch of yeast or leaven that's put into it, right? When the baker mixes it all together and they've got a, a lump of dough that's got the yeast in it, the leaven, and it's sitting there, it just sits there. It doesn't rise immediately, Right? It takes time for this dough to rise. It's a process. It doesn't happen immediately. And what Jesus is trying to communicate through this parable is that the kingdom of God grows in you over time. That change doesn't happen overnight. That change doesn't happen like that. That the Bible speaks of change that happens over time. You know, in, in both of these parables you'll notice that the growth of the seed and the growth of the leaven, it's deceptive, right? The seed goes in the ground, the leaven, the yeast goes into the dough, and, and nothing seems to be happening. It, it, it takes time to see results, doesn't it? It takes time. Let's go back to this, the seed illustration for a second. If you take a mustard seed and you send it in a head-on collision with a slab of concrete, a sidewalk, Right, who's going to win? Right, the sidewalk's going to win. It's going to crush the mustard seed. You take that mustard seed and you plant it in soil right next to the sidewalk or right under the sidewalk. Who's going to win? Over time, who's going to win? Right, that seed is going to start to sprout and grow. It's going to start to send roots and the roots are going to start to crack the sidewalk. Right, over time, that's how the kingdom works in you. In this world, it's a process that happens over time. The Bible calls it sanctification, that growth is not overnight. 2007, December of 07, Matthew Murray shot and killed two people at a youth with a mission, a YWAM training center in Colorado Springs, Colorado. And, and right after he did that, he was then shot dead by a security guard at, at the church, at New Life Church, where this training was happening. And after this incident, 
They, they looked into Matthew Murray's car and they found a letter he had written to God. And listen to what this said. Why didn't any changes occur or any love or help come when I accepted you as Lord and Savior? Now, it's a tragic story, but it reveals the danger of, of not understanding how the kingdom works and how Jesus describes it here that it doesn't happen overnight, that it's a process, that it takes time. Now, how does this speak into you? Some of you have real strongholds of sin in your life, real strongholds of sin. Some of you have uh, habits that you've been unable to break. Some of you have old patterns of thinking, maybe from family of origin, how you were raised, that you can't get out of. And some of you are, are frustrated, in despair, maybe even doubting the faith because of it, because you don't see change. And Jesus is saying to you, listen, the kingdom of God grows. It's a process. It takes time that God slowly will work change into you. Think about the mustard seed that gets planted underneath the sidewalk or right next to the sidewalk. How long does it take for the first crack to appear in the sidewalk? It takes time. What about the second crack? More time. It takes time before eventually the sidewalk starts to get broken apart. And it's the same in your life. It takes time for the kingdom of God to sow and in you and through you, the kingdom seed, the kingdom leaven, to, corridor, to course the veins and the arteries of your heart and all the corridors where change needs to take place. And that it takes time. And so here's what happens though. There are strains of Christianity. There are strains of Christianity in the church that say something like this. If you really believed, you wouldn't be doing that. If you really believed and you really had faith, you wouldn't struggle with that. That's a lie. It's not true. Or, or if you'll just come and we'll pray over you, we'll get this knocked out immediately. Now, let me, I am not reducing the importance of prayer to remove strongholds over time or reducing the, the, the importance of believing Jesus to do this. But this idea that stuff just gets knocked out of your life immediately is not the norm. Oh, does it happen? Sure. Some of you may have a testimony of, of struggling with a certain sin and you came to Christ and immediately it was gone. That happens, but that's not the norm that the Lord and his kingdom works over time. It's like leaven, it's like yeast that makes its way through the dough. It's a process. And so you can take great joy in that to not expect overnight change, but to expect, to expect slow change. If you look at your life yesterday and compare it to today, you'll probably get discouraged. If you look at your life in Christ 10 years ago compared to now, you'll see change because that's how the Lord works over time. So this intensive kingdom power works over time. It's a process. But second, it's pervasive. You'll notice in this parable of the leaven that the yeast makes, it, makes its way through the entire batch of dough, that every particle of that dough is affected. Nothing gets left untouched by the leaven. And that's what Jesus is saying about his kingdom, that it touches every last corner of your heart, of this world, of this culture. And let me give you a couple implications of this. 
of what we mean by the kingdom of God infiltrating every part of your life and of this world. There's two I wanna speak to. Number one is worldview. Number one is worldview. This means what Jesus is saying here is that every follower of Christ should consider how the gospel impacts every area of life. Every area. So how I parent, how I work, how I play, how I listen, how I read, how I watch, how I create, how I educate, right? Every last part of your life should be impacted by the gospel of Jesus. You know, we typically, or we, we can have this firewall between Sunday and Monday, or two firewalls. One is between Sunday and Monday, and one is between Saturday and Sunday, this sacred-secular divide, that there's sacred, then there's the secular stuff, that I'm, that I'm in the sacred when I'm in church, that I'm in the sacred when I'm reading my Bible, that I'm in the sacred when I'm going to Bible study or I'm praying, but that I'm in the secular when I'm working, when I'm studying, when I'm competing in an athletic event. And, and, and Jesus says, there's, there's no distinction, there's no separation, that the kingdom of God infiltrates everything. Every square inch of this world belongs to Jesus, which means that the kingdom should permeate every square inch of this world, right? So number one is, is worldview, not having this divide between sacred and secular. Second thing we learn through this leaven permeating every part of the dough is leadership or influence. Leadership and influence. If every square inch of this world belongs to Jesus, then his ambassadors, his followers should be exerting influence and leadership in every square inch, of this world. Uh, one pastor, he, he writes uh, to his people and he's urging, he's urging his people towards what he calls bold leadership. Basically that, that followers of Christ need to be exerting influence wherever they're at. Listen, listen to what he says. There are questions that beg to be answered. There are dilemmas to be overcome. There are gaps to be filled and the challenge is for you to fill them in the power of the Spirit. That is the essence of the high call of spiritual leadership. There is a purpose for your being here. You are meant to answer something, solve something, provide something, lead something, discover something, compose something, write something, say something, translate something, interpret something, sing something, create something, teach something, preach something, bear something, overcome something. And in doing so, the kingdom of God permeates every last corner of this world. The kingdom of God is incredibly powerful. Extensive growth, intensive growth, but it's power that is small and seemingly insignificant it's power that's hidden, seemingly invisible. It's power that works upside down. It's power that works over time and process, but it's power that wants to permeate. And Jesus' desire for it to permeate everything, and he's called you to be faithful to that. Let's pray. Father, there are those here this morning 
that don't feel, see, experience your kingdom advancing in their heart, in their world, seems invisible, doesn't seem real. I pray, Father, that you would help them to see what your son Jesus is teaching here, that your kingdom is at work, that it is working powerfully behind the scenes, that it is working over time. And Father, I pray for some here that are gathered that maybe have never experienced your kingdom because they've never trusted you, Jesus. Jesus, you are the way into the kingdom, into this new world that you have brought that we will experience for eternity. And so I pray for those that are here that don't know you, Jesus, that you might draw them to yourself, that they could experience life in the kingdom. And Father, I pray for this meal that we're about to enjoy, the Lord's Supper, that is that, that physical meal that, that we can touch and taste and feel, that is a reminder that your kingdom has come and that your kingdom's coming in full, and that you would use this meal to, to strengthen us. Oh, there are so many of us that are weary, Father. We're weary, we're hurting, we're broken. We don't see things working, and yet we need this meal to strengthen us internally, to be reminded of what you're doing. And so by your spirit, would you pour out your grace in this time? We pray this all in Christ's name, amen.